Okay, good morning. Welcome, everybody. My name is Michael, and uh, I have the privilege of sharing with you guys this morning. If you guys have Bibles, can you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13? Uh, this is where we're going to be this morning, and uh, this has to be one of the most read passages in the history of the world, because if you've gone to any wedding or if you've gone to any place where you just want to talk about love or whatever, like this is the place that you go to. And uh, so this is, we got to kind of get some stuff um, under wraps here for a second, because we kind of see this first First Corinthians chapter 13 is kind of like this isolated, weird, like, oh, Paul's just going to go on a random exposition of love for no reason, absolutely. But it, that does kind of make sense within the argument. For the last couple of weeks, here on Sundays, we've been talking about gifts and how you are to use them within the church. And, and that's like a pretty big summary. So from coming from chapter 12, Paul's been talking about your giftings and what you are called to do and how the church is supposed to use them together. And then he goes kind of on this side tangent of love, but it obviously serves a purpose. The reason is this. Chapter 12 talks about your giftings. It's as if uh, all of the church is um, different instruments on the same kind of sheet music and all these different instruments and different sounds with God telling them to do things and then being able to do them at the best of their ability are all coming together, pulled on the same sheet music and the music that they create is what this chapter is talking about. The music the church is creating through its giftings is love. Theologians have called this in a number of different ways, the greatest, strongest, deepest thing that Paul has ever wrote. And love is a very interesting word because we have a bunch of different baggage that we kind of throw into it. And there's these alternative or almost like polarizing versions of the same thing. Uh, the two descriptions that I could give about love is one side of it uh, is this very emotional, heavy, insatiable desire kind of a feeling. That description's more of like a, a black hole. The black hole is a singularity that has this insatiable desire to pull things into itself, but unmakes the things that it brings to itself. That's one description. It's the idea of, oh, love me, give me constant affection, give me, give me, give me, give me. And because we begin to be so first focused on myself, all the relationships and the things that go around me all of a sudden begin to break down because it's this insatiable desire of affection. Give to me, give to me, give to me, give to me. The other description of love that's given throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is that of a cell. A cell gives all of itself away, and when it does and it divides, it doesn't become any less of itself, but it actually becomes more. What we have to do, we have to come into this is thinking that love described through this chapter is not starting with us. It starts somewhere else. And this is incredibly important for us to understand. It's a love for the utterly unworthy, a love that proceeds from a God who he himself is love. It is a love lavished on others without a thought whether they are worthy or not. It proceeds from the nature of the lover, not because of any attractiveness from the beloved. The Christian who's experienced God's love for him while he is still a sinner has been transformed by this experience. Jonathan Edwards, another theologian, says it this way, that all virtue, which is saving and distinguishing of true followers of Jesus from others, is summed up in Christian love. Love is the garden where all of God's people and their gifts flourish. Love ultimately cannot begin with you and I. So Paul begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 with these three verses, and he says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
If I give away all love, and if I have to deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. This first verse is completely interesting. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. No language on earth or on heaven comes any close to comparison with the practice of love. It's easy enough to be fascinated by eloquent discourse, by sermons, by people speaking on stages and being caught up and, and, and enamored with what people are saying, but it comes nowhere close in comparison with love. Uh, Chris Rock speaks on um, comedians in cars getting coffee with Jerry Seinfeld, and they're sitting there and they're having this coffee and they're talking to one another, and Chris Rock just goes out of nowhere in the middle of the discussion goes, what we do is crazy. We just stand on a stage by ourselves with nothing else, and we just talk and people pay to show up. That's nuts. The people were just so caught up with words. We're just like, oh yeah, like keep that coming. Like there's something about that that we get caught up in. And what Paul is saying, no language on earth or heaven, whether you speak the most beautiful Italian or Spanish or German, nothing will come in comparison to the practice of love itself. Because if you have this action of talking or speaking without any kind of intentional uh, aspect at all, you begin to realize that it's just a sound. It's just a noise. Anyone who's taking up with saying rather than doing has become nothing more than a sound. The best speech of earth or heaven without love is only just a noise. And Paul begins to keep pushing this through, really goes deep into it. And he says this verse two, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I gave away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. He keeps amplifying the importance. Man, if you speak in tongues, that's awesome. But if you don't have love, nothing. Actually, let's step it up. If you speak in prophecies, but you do not have love, nothing. Oh, you want to go another level? Okay, if you have faith that will move mountains, but do not have love, nothing. Let's go one step more. If you give away everything that you have, all your money, and just, and just exuberant generosity, but you do not have love, nothing. Oh, you think that's intense. Let's go one more. If you die for the name of Jesus, if you give your life up and do not have love, you missed it. That's terrifying. I, I've lived in such a way where it's check boxes, right? You walk the old lady across the streets, me and Jesus are good today, read my Bible, I'm only three days behind on my Bible reading plan, we're, we're okay, you know, we're in that, we're in the, we're not in the double digits yet, right? It's check boxes, it's, it's, it's checks and balances. If, oh, I've sinned this, but I've, whoa, come on, that's godly, Right? No, you can do all of those things. And if you have not love, it means nothing. It's terrifying. Love for a person is to be moved by a high ideal. It's not a feeling of emotion, but an action. It's not something that is so, um, we're, we're caught up in. The falling of love narrative is super interesting because it's basically just an illusion. 
We say that falling in love is a passive experience, but the Bible never describes love as a passive experience in terms of what you are tending to do. You have to give love via action. It's an action. If we think love is a feeling, man, feelings come and go. Sometimes I'm upset. You should see me when I don't eat for a couple hours. It's like, what happened to that guy? Like, feelings are going all over the place. And if love is that, then when I look at my wife and I go, if you just love me based on a feeling, this is very unsteady. Love is primarily of the will. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's an action that you have to go and do constantly. It is something that is done, not it's something that is necessarily done to you. You have to start. And because this is something that is given, it is dangerous. It's dangerous for the giver because of this. This is what one theologian writes. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one not even an animal, wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change, it will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. It's to give something to someone. And if I offer somebody a gift, the actual response they can do back is rejection. That's scary. To love is to act on behalf of somebody else, to take all of who they are and say, I'm going to stand for that individual and go and move towards them regardless of their response. It's action. Love is something that you do. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, we went on a staff retreat and uh, we, you pair up with another staff member and I had uh, the absolute honor to be paired up with uh, Pastor Mark, and, uh, which is kind of, it was, it was terrifying. And so when we go and uh, we're, we, you know, roommates to, you know, two beds, whatever, we're hanging out, we're talking and he's like, Rah! I was like, that's how he talks. And so we're sitting there and, and uh, we're talking. You think that's just on stage. It's like all the time. And so we're sitting there, we're chatting, we're talking. And out of nowhere, the guy just falls asleep. And it's pretty late, like maybe midnight. And uh, I'm sitting there, and my mind's just kind of going, and I can't fall asleep at all. Midnight, 1, 2, 3 a.m. And at 3 a.m., I just have this blinding migraine. Like, I'm going to die. And so I'm, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to be like, wake up, Mark, and be like, hey, bro, like, you got drugs. And, and I wasn't going to do that, so... I got up and I'm just like, you know, I'm trying to do everything I can. I'm splashing myself with water. I walk outside trying to cool down, you know, take the sheets off. I'm like, nothing is working. And so there's like this kind of main common living area. And so I leave and I go to the common and I start pulling apart every drawer, everything that's opening. I'm like, where are the Tylenol, right? Like I just need something and nothing's working out. And so I'm just like, I give up. There's a couch in this main living area. I lie down, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, this is the worst pain I've ever felt. And I'm sitting there like, Lord, you either take me now or you help me. And out of nowhere, Mark comes from around the corner and goes, oh, thank God. Why are we so dramatic? Like, relax. He's like, no. I woke up out of nowhere, the Lord. I woke up out of nowhere. And I look over to your bed and you're not there. So my first thought, you fell off the bed. <laughs> so I get up, I walk over to the other side of the bed and you're not there. So my second thought is, you hung yourself in the bathroom. <laughs> Wait, what? You went from falling off the bed to hung myself in the bathroom? He's like, oh yeah. Like I walked more cautiously to the bathroom I've ever in my entire life. I'm opening that door slowly expecting you to just, 
are you okay, Mark? Like, what's wrong with you? He's like, you know, I opened the door, you weren't there, and I was so relieved. And then I went to, oh, now he's just fooling around with another staff member. Wait, 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 what? So you went from falling off the bed to hanging myself to adultery. He's like, yeah. And then I started thinking about it. I started thinking about it going, so this guy thought I was in like the deepest of the deep, which I don't know what that says about what he thinks about me. But you know what? He came after me, you know what I mean? Like he thought to myself, like I was in some crazy stuff and he's like, oh, I'm gonna get that boy back. Guys, that's love, man. You know what I mean? That guy loves me. He came after, that's some Jesus kind of love, right? Like he's like, that guy is far gone. He's messed up. He's in the middle of his sins. I'm gonna go after him. And love, it's a desire for somebody else for all of their well-being and regardless of their response, you still go for it. Love in Paul is, is expression and vulnerability. It's care. Um, Ellie Weissel, who's a survivor of the Holocaust, wrote this way, that the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. The opposite of art is not ugliness, it's indifference. The opposite of faith is not heresy, it's indifference. And the opposite of life is not death, it's indifference. To sit there and be apathetic about the people around you and the life that you live is indifferent. Love is the opposite of that. And Paul's description of love, he begins to use 15 verbs to describe what it is. It's the most helpful, beautiful things that he could be writing. And he begins to break them down. And so for my goal for this section is we're going to go through them one by one, not to blow your minds, not to say anything eloquent about them, but basically just to maybe use some different verbiage to allow something to hit you. Some of these things you're going to sit there and you're going to go, wow, I'm really good at that. Other ones are going to hit you and you're going to go, wow, I'm terrible at that. And we want all of those things to hit you at the same time. We want you to feel encouraged. We want you to feel convicted. We want you to see that love is a multifaceted game where maybe you're good at one area, but there is still growth in another. Paul's idea of love is the constant searching of you giving yourself to others in this amazing way. The way that I would describe love, first and foremost, before we get into this, is love is the settled purpose to seek the well-being of others regardless of their response. Once again, love is a settled purpose to seek the well-being of others regardless of their response. Paul begins his description. In, chapter, in verse four, he says this, that love is patient and kind. Patience is to be even-tempered while enduring a typical trial or circumstance with individuals and people, that you stick through it with them. You don't just kind of give up very easily and quickly on people. To be kind, on the other hand, is a reaction of goodness towards those who ill-treat you or others. It gives itself in kindness and the service of others. These first two descriptions are very important because what they show in, in endurance and enduring people and patience and in kindness, these are the passive and the active responses of love first and foremost. The passive response is, okay, I'm gonna keep, I'm just gonna sit with this. I'm gonna keep going, keep going, keep going. Patience is gonna go over and over. This is the passive response of love. An active response of love is, I'm gonna continuously work. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go towards the people who look ill of us and I'm gonna in action love them to goodness. This is the point. And patience is beautiful. I went away at a camp 
Uh, probably 50% of the camp is non-Christian. The other half would be Christian. There's, there's messages that would go and I would speak. And there was this group of guys who would always hang around the basketball court. And these guys were just slinging like horrible language. Like not just like cussing or swearing. It's like the things that they would joke about with one another was intense. And their leader was this guy, pretty young guy. And I thought to myself, I'm like, this guy's gonna have such a hard time with this cabin. Like the things that they were saying, the jokes they were throwing out was like, what is happening right now with these guys? And you should have seen this leader. He's just working with them. So patient. Hey guys, we need to chill out right now. He knew when to be lenient. He knew when to give them um, just really strict boundaries and very strict rules. See, the love with the passive and these active responses is also causing you to have discernment. Even with your own children, you have to know, and you know this, sometimes you just have to be patient. Just let them go through the thing. And other times you have to act, you put yourself into the position of them and you do something towards them. Love is not just this, it's gonna make itself, discernment is needed in order for this to happen. Patience and kindness are first and foremost the active and passive responses of love towards people. And then he continues, love does not envy or boast. Envy, jealousy. There's kind of two levels to jealousy. You drive into the cul-de-sac, your neighbor has a new car. First level of jealousy is, why don't I have that? You feel like you deserve it. You feel like you've worked just as hard. Why don't I have that? That's kind of the shallow surface level. That's, you know, that's, that's, you can deal with that one. The deeper one is not, why don't I have that? It's, why do you have that? Tell me that hasn't hit us. You see someone with something that you feel like, why do they get to go on vacation? Oh, they only have two kids, I got four. They're obviously pumping more money out and for, they can do more things. They're more flexible with their time. That guy has that kind of a job. Why do they get to have those kinds of things? What Paul's saying is love is not that at all. The other aspect of it is that it's boastful. To boast is exhibiting self-importance. Uh, the word here in Paul's language is a windbag that you just kind of blow into this bag that has no purpose whatsoever, but just kind of sits there and puffs itself up. It's the desire to make others think highly of oneself. And both of those go together. That you're jealous of somebody else because they're taking the attention away from you. That you sit there and you go, have you ever noticed this in conversation and just how self-centered we are? Then when we talk to another person, how quickly we just move the conversation back to ourselves. When somebody goes, oh, I went to Disneyland with my family. Oh yeah, well, one time with my family, we went to Disneyland. It's like, okay, like relax. <laughs> we know you went to Disneyland, cool. Well, we went to Six Flags, it's a better, it's a better park anyways. Well, okay. And you realize in those conversations that really you're just kind of boosting yourself up. This is me, my importance. And you realize that most conversations with people is just a war of egos. Oh, you got that, I got this. Oh, you got that, I got, and we all know those people, the one-uppers, right? <sighs> I got two weeks of vacation this year. <sighs> and no big deal, I got six. What? The constant job is just to, it's not loving. To try to take all the attention, to make everything about me, for me to have the highest importance. Think about your relationships and think of your families, that these are the kinds of circumstances, these are the kinds of things that unmake the relationships that we have around us. Paul continues, it's, it's not arrogant. Arrogance is, is asserting itself. Love is concerned with giving. Arrogance is concerned with people receiving who I am the way that I want them to see me. 
as I view this unreal sense of myself to people to make myself feel like it's more. Rudeness. Uh, the word in Paul's language here is schema, which is uh, a proper form, not according to proper form. Rudeness basically means anything that's disgraceful, dishonorable, indecent. It's a general term with a wide sense of meaning. What Paul is saying here is that love avoids the whole range of unseemliness. It's rude, it's language, it's the way you talk to people, it's the tone, it's the voice, it's the way you demand something of someone. The way that I, I think about this all the time, and I, I, I'm kind of blown away by it, is how we could interact with people without realizing that they're human. Have you ever gone to a Starbucks before with your phone? And there's a human, another human being talking to you, and we don't give them a time of day to look up. We're scrolling through the article. We're looking at the thing on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, uh, tall Americano, please. Thank you very much. Yep. Uh, that'll be 260. Yep, here you go. It's indecent. It's a human being. We don't have the time of day. It's unloving. Paul continues. The love does not insist on its own way. We're like that. I remember this all through elementary school, high school even. Hey, you want to go to the movies or the beach? Oh, I want to go to the movies. And there's that one kid who all the time goes, well, if we're not going to the beach, I'm not going. Right? It's the kid in, in elementary school, you know that kid? Well, if I'm not going to play, I'm taking my ball back. It's insisting on its own way. If this doesn't go the way that I want this thing to go, then I'm out. See you guys. And how many of us, the course of our life is just the direction that gives us the most joy. Hey, if we're not doing the thing that I want to do, then let's not participate whatsoever. It's not love. It's not love. Love is not irritable or resentful. Karl Barth reminds us that the neighbor can get dreadfully on my nerves even in the exercise of what he regards as what may well be his particular gifts. Love cannot, after the fact, uh, cannot alter the fact that he gets on my nerves, but it can rule out my allowing myself to be provoked by him. It's um, this irritation. It's the thought of someone who really gets on your nerves. And what begins to happen is you begin to have tiny little details that make you react to that individual without them even being there. It's you know that person you don't like has that kind of a purse and you're walking around the mall and you see somebody else with that person, the reaction just kind of hits you and uh, comes to your mind and you physically react. It's you know the person you like or your boss has that kind of a car and every single time you drive on the highway, you see that car and you're just like, ah, uh, just ruined my day a little bit. It's irritation, is resentment towards someone. And when that begins to prop up constantly in your heart to people, to different individuals, remember that love is the purpose the purpose action for other people's well-being regardless of their response. And so for us to sit here and hold these resentments unloving, it's unloving to hold things against people. And we, and we find this way of doing it that we justify it to ourselves. Okay, well, you just go do that thing. You just go do that thing. I'm being loving because I'm being passive. If that's what you want to do, then just go and do it without realizing that we're holding all these grudges because why do we never get to do what I want to do? Why do we always have to do what you want to do? Why am I always listening? You're never doing anything. And we're building up resentments over and over and over again. And in your passive love that you believe yourself to have, it's really unloving. 
until the time where suddenly out of nowhere, the fight that you begin to have with your spouse is about something so simple, but it's really not that thing. It's because resentment has been growing for a long time in a way that you thought, oh man, I'm just, I'm just sacrificing here for this moment, but really you're, you're holding a grudge. You're growing in something. A resentment is fueling within you that you begin to not be able to see the people around you for who they truly are, but you begin to replace them with something else. For Paul, he continues that he does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. This is the classic, the person you don't like gets into trouble and makes a mistake and you really enjoy it. You really like it. Hey, did you hear that thing happen to so-and-so? Well, good, they deserve it. It's unloving. One writer says that we enjoy our disgust so much that we would be furious were, it to be, were we to be deprived of it. That's true. We just like being upset. But what is love? And what does love do? You've gone all the negatives, what love is not, but what is love? Verse seven, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. For love to bear all things, the word here is, is, is to cover. This love both covers and bears things. It, it never proclaims the errors of others. It refuses to see faults unless it may kindly help in their removal. It stands in the presence of a fault with a finger on its lips. It does not attempt to make a catalog of other people's issues, problems, sins, transgressions, or provocations. It bears all things. It believes all things. It points to the quality that ever ready to allow for circumstances and to see the best in others. This doesn't mean that love is gullible, but that it does not think the worst and it retains faith. Love is not deceived by pretenses of any person, but is always ready to give the benefit of the doubt. Cynicism is not weathered wisdom. It's not realism. It's unloving. Hopes all things. Love never despairs. This is not unreasoning optimism, which fails to take account of reality. It's rather a refusal to take failure as final. And hope, there's always something to come from this. Paul continues, endures all things. This refers to patient perseverance and loving. This is perhaps some of the hardest work that can be done, even though it's the most affectionate and most loving work that you can do for a time. The task is not to hold on. The task is to hold on year after year. In the reference to fellow Christians, this is supposed to be done for Christ's sake, that you're enduring things for his sake. And for his sake, it's enduring love, which is incredibly hard. So bearing things, hoping things, believing things, enduring things, we cannot do this on our own, but we have to have the example that Christ has done this for us ultimately. He has done this. And as Paul begins to go through all of this language, this is so fascinating because what is the one thing that Jesus says of us? John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another, which means if you don't bear all things, if you don't believe all things, hope all things, endure all things, if you see your love is, life is jealous or envious or arrogant or boastful, you are doing the opposite of the command of what he's asking us to do. Be patient, endure, be kind, love people the way that you are called to. And if you are not known by these things, if you're not known by your self-giving, by your sacrifice, by your patience or your kindness, Christ is saying, listen, this is what you got to be known for. If people don't look at you at your job and go, wow, how kind is that individual? Just start there. Kindness. Be kind. 
Because if that's not a, a quality, a description of who you are, it's unloving. To kind and patience and bearing things for others is exactly what Christ did for us. It's exactly what he's called of us. It's exactly what he has himself described of what he is called to do. Paul, we're going to skip down to verse 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, that these three, but the greatest of these is love. I love the way the old hymn said it this way. Faith will vanish into sight. Hope will be emptied in delight. Love in heaven will shine more bright. When faith as we know it gives way to vision and hope is swallowed up in realization, love remains unchanged even when it attains perfection. Paul is pitting up love against gifts, going gifts are here for a certain time, but love is always. And love begins to grow in itself where everything else is gonna go away. Preaching is gonna go away. Prophetic giftings is gonna go away. Healing is gonna go away. No one's going to heaven. Like Mark's not gonna go to heaven one day and be like, all right, let me just get on a stage and start preaching at people. Okay, so Paul over there, uh, he was talking to those guys. And he was getting mad at them. It's not happening. So why do we sit here and settle on things that are, we, we make the, the minor things, the major things, and love is the thing that is going to go through all of eternity, all of your lifetime. As long as God is around, love is going to be the core competency of who you are as a human being. So why not start focusing on it now? Because for Jesus, this was his life. This is what he did. For God, this is his core identity for people. Paul describes this in Romans, that but God showed his love for us. And while that we were still sinners, Christ died. Christ died for us. Action, love, patience, endurance, not being jealous, not being envious, not sitting there with people making all of it my way, insisting on what I want to have. Christ is the summation of all of those things. And if you're sitting there going, I didn't have a loving example. I didn't have a role model to look at. I didn't have someone to, to, to follow in that. Jesus is the vision. He is the climax. He is the summation of all of this chapter. As Jesus shows up and you begin to witness and look and see what his actions were, the way that he talked, the way that he communicated, his kindness in unkind situations, his love to the unlovable, giving worth to those who were unworthy. Those are the descriptions of Jesus that you look at and you go, I have to reflect this. If you want to know what love is, this might be hard for you to track. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Watch him. Analyze him like you did your parents. Analyze him like you did your older siblings. Analyze him like the celebrity that you were in love with when you were 12 years old that you wanted to be exactly like. Pay attention. Focus. Keep your eyes fixed on the one who is love himself and through his very life gave himself on the cross and three days later rose again to win us all into victory. He is love itself. If you want to be more patient, look to him as the role model. If you want to be more kind, look to him as the role model. If you want to bear all things, look to him as the role model. Believe all things, look to him as the role model. Jesus is the summation of this incredible chapter. And what we get to do right now as we transition into communion 
is we get to remember this. His action, his love, what he is called of us to be and to do. By giving his life on a cross, he sits down with his friends in Luke 22 and he begins to say, here is the bread. This represents my body, my body that will break. And this is, is the wine that will come. And this represents my blood in the new covenant. And do this, take these things, take these elements in remembrance of me. That if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, we do communion as a remembering. It's a re-gospeling of ourselves. It's to sit there and sit in a moment where we get to just look at him, focus on his action. And in the time of communion, we begin to be wrapped up in what he went through and what he did to remember us, to move us closer to the loving kindness that he is calling us to have. So what's gonna happen is the tray is gonna go through, the elements are gonna come one by one, the bread first, the juice will come after, and be patient, think, fix your eyes, pay attention, remember that if you're a follower of Jesus, just look to him. Take it in your own time. And we would just ask if, if you're someone who, who wouldn't say that you follow Jesus, that you would just let those trays pass through. That these are people who wanna sit and linger and think about and honor this kind of love. So as you take the elements, remember, sit, just relax, calm down. Think about him, his love, and how you can reflect that to the world. So Father, we thank you so much for our time here today that as we begin to sit and think about what it is that you're calling us to do in our life, that love is the core competency of what we are as human beings. That as we look to people, as we look to ourselves, to our spouses, to our children, all the relationships that we have just around us, God, that you would move us in such a way that is beautiful. You would move us in such a way where these descriptions of love are the things that we, we begin to take on, that you grow this in us, not by some amazing effort on our end, but just looking at you more deeply, imitating you more, following you like we're called to follow you, that you would just make a tremendous work in our hearts. And that as we leave this room, that our main intention here is not, oh man, I gotta know my, my Bible more because that's gonna be great. It's not, hey, I just picked up really cool theological language. It's, and I feel like God just wants me to love people more. It's the goal, it's the concern of what I am doing every single day of my life. It's love, to give up yourself, to in fact become more of ourselves. And so Father, I just pray that you would allow us to have just the courageous nature to follow that through. So Father, we thank you. We love you. Just wanna pray, amen.